0: Forever
1: dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Whoa! I'm
2: Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and starting this weekend, I'll also have balayage in my hair. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual
0: icon wink, and uh please once again I am asking you to leave us an Apple review and
2: rating. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the fact that this weekend I'm getting balayage, which basically just means like like gentle highlights, and I was like, "Wow, I'm changing up my hair. This is going to be so shocking." And then you went and like cut off all of your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I am. Um, I
0: went back to like the shaved and the like boy bangs, the early Bieber. Yeah, I, uh, I cut all my hair off. At first, I did it with kitchen scissors at midnight crying, you know, the queer experience. Uh, <laughs> and then I went on Thursday yesterday and uh, a very kind woman at establishment salon did my hair and now it's all shaved in the back. My neck is freezing and I've had it short before. You know, I've had it this short um in the past, but it, I felt scared of making it short because somehow having it short as a cis woman seemed different to me than having it short as a non-binary person. You can unpack that. I don't really know. So now, like, I was like, okay, I want to dye the front. And then everyone's telling me no. Everyone's saying leave the front. It's like a mix of orange and, and yellow. I don't know. Someone was like, what do you want to look like? What, what do you want to look like? Or something like that. And I was like, ah. Can I just tell you, trans people are hilarious, where I was like, they were like, what do you want to look like? And I was like, probably like Andrew Garfield. Like, if I could just look like Andrew Garfield, that would be great. And then I but that's like a name that there's certain men that I like have in my mind or whatever. And then I went, I was like, let me see if there's any interviews with Andrew Garfield on Spotify. I went to look and there was a playlist already made called "Is Andrew Garfield a gender. Isn't that hilarious? Wow. Like, if you think you've thought of something, somebody's already thought of it. <laughs> And I was like, who made the And it was like already a playlist. And I was like, OK, wow, we're hilarious. <laughs> well, how do you feel having had the haircut? I feel good. I, I mean, I'm scared. Well, first of all, the turfs came out on Instagram. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, I changed my pronouns on July 5th. Right. And I had not changed my look. I had long hair. I looked very femme. And I cut my hair yesterday, posted it. All of a sudden, it's like the turfs were like, "Wait a minute, they actually are, are they?" Like it did, they didn't register or something. And so then I was just like bombarded with comments yesterday, which like, whatever, who cares? But just a bunch of comments from people like, "You're a lost little girl," and like all this kind of whatever. Also, the one that I is like from the sort of turf feministy type people who are like, "They got to you too, the trans agenda or whatever." Which, like, largely the trans agenda seems to be watch Twin Peaks. But, like, this person was so, so mad. So Mm -hmm. mad. And, like, why? Do you block uh, those people? No, because I don't want them to know that I saw them. Although, I guess if they listen to that. But then if they listen to this podcast, it's like, what, are you obsessed with me? Like, (laughs) and I like to let people see... That like this is the reaction that people are st- look at these people like they're oh. dumb, you know, mm-hmm. like you're telling on yourself. You should you should be embarrassed of your own actions or whatever. Um, but it was also funny because they were like looking through your profile, like all you talk about is gender on my Instagram. And I went to look at my Instagram and I was like, literally, like, I would say 80 percent of my posts are promoting bad with money. Yeah. So, like <laughs> Like where show me where. Like, I was like, if anything, come here and complain about it. I talk about finances too much. You know what
2: I mean? Yeah. I have the same thing where, like, whenever I post about my ex-fiancé, people are like, this is literally all you talk about. And I'm like, no, it isn't.
0: <laughs> how dare you? I only talk about how I have OCD. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> how dare you? If you're going to be mad at me. I was like, honestly, also, like, you're like, oh, you only talk about gender. And it's like, uh, no, I only brag about my sexual exploits. How dare you? If you're going to be mad about at me for to only talking about one thing, like, get it right.
2: <laughs> anyway, this is just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Only about gender and my ex-fiancé. <laughs> that's why this show is called Gender and My Ex-Fiancé. We should change the name of the show on Apple Podcasts for a day as a
0: joke. It's like, what is this show about? Well, it's Gabby talking about their gender and Allison talking about
2: her ex-fiancé. And that's it! <laughs> And nothing else. Speaking of what is this show about, if you wanna write what you think it's about on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> we would really appreciate it. I wanna read a, a review just because it, it was so lovely. And to, you know, if you guys leave reviews, then maybe we'll read them on the show. And oh man, are we so desperate for your reviews? So please, please, please yeah, leave please. us some. Cassio, exclamation point, said five stars. This show is somehow always able to stay funny, even while tackling serious, meaningful topics. I've never come across a podcast with so many consistently interesting and varied topics, interviews, discussions, and segments week after week. Allison and Gabby are always a blast to listen to, no matter what they're talking about. Hey! Which apparently is more than just gender and my ex-fiancé.
0: Diverse, baby! (laughs) Diverse topics! Look, I would say, do we have four or five topics that we like to talk about? Yeah. But you know what? Don't claim that we're only talking about one. How dare you? <laughs> Melissa laughed so hard at calling the show Gender and My Ex-Fiance. Because
2: I, I think we're really on to something. Yeah. So speaking of the various topics that we cover on this podcast, we have a great guest for you guys this week. We have Jeffrey Masters on the pod, the amazing host of the LGBTQ&A podcast to talk all about his incredible interviewing skills. And then we're going to be talking about
0: our comedic voices. What are they? How have they changed? Do I we a lot... still have
2: them? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. <laughs> but first, you know we have to answer a listener's question. And we all know what that means. So hit it! International question! International question! International question! Dina, Chicago. Dina, I really appreciate you giving me a phonetic spelling out of your name. That is always huge and alleviates a lot of my anxiety. <laughs> so Dina says, TLDR, we can't stand our friend's boyfriend. What should we do? Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Dear Allison and Gabby, Thank you so much for Just Between Us. It really helps reduce my anxiety when I listen to your podcast while exercising. And it's totally worth how weird I look when I'm laughing my ass off during hypotheticals while walking around my neighborhood.
1: I like your podcast
2: so much that I wrote a review on Apple Podcasts to help you gain exposure even though I exclusively listen on Spotify. You're welcome. Thank you, Dina. That's huge. (laughs) Thank you, Dina. Anyway, on to the question. I am very lucky to be a part of a tight-knit friend group who I deeply love. It's made up of people who went to college together and now live in the same neighborhood. I hang out with someone from our friend group almost every day, which is not only fun for me, but necessary to maintain good mental health because I am an extrovert, I live alone, work from home, and have no pets or significant other. Someone else who we were friends with in college recently moved here and became part of the group. Jess, she, her, and Kyle, he, him. I made those names up. We're on and off during college, but now they're very much on and they live together in our neighborhood. Jess is someone who I really like, and even though she's a little younger than the rest of us, she and I are good friends. Kyle absolutely sucks, and he always has. <laughs> <laughs> he is constantly putting her down in little ways and making oh. her feel stupid, and it's uncomfortable for everyone. If that wasn't bad enough, he is also the kind of person who is a little rude to servers sometimes, and he writes mean Yelp reviews about people. <sighs> This is super triggering for me because as all my friends know, I literally had to quit my last serving job because someone was trying to ruin my life via Yelp. Was it Kyle? Was it secretly Kyle? I mean, maybe. I don't like being around him, especially at restaurants. Jess's parents are rather wealthy and they pay for the rent on their shared apartment and some other expenses. I've talked to our other friends about this and it seems really obvious to everyone except Jess that Kyle is just freeloading off her life. He has no job, no ambitions, and seemingly no interests other than mansplaining other people's interests to them. It's also concerning to me that she is only 23 and implied that she wants to get engaged soon. I guess we were hoping that because they've broken up before, maybe they broke up again, but it's not looking that way. My other friends and I are not sure what to do here. On one hand, we want to be able to talk to her about the fact that he doesn't treat her well. We don't want her to be isolated from the group, so maybe she could feel like she could leave him at some point. At the same time, it's draining to be around him because he just sucks so much. <laughs> it's hard to be able to hang out with her without him because neither of them have other friends in the city and he doesn't have a job, so he's never busy. Also, most of our friend group is couples, so it doesn't really feel like an option to invite her without inviting him. I know that I could ask for just a girl's day with her sometimes, but it doesn't solve the day-to-day issue, which is that we leave her out a lot of the time because we don't want her to bring him. I find myself lying to her about my plans sometimes, and I don't like that. Do you think we should be honest with her about what we all feel about him? How can we do that without it feeling like an intervention? Or is an intervention okay? Should we try addressing his behavior with him? I feel bad not inviting her to things because of him, but he's just so awful. Any advice would be helpful. Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, so I have been on the side
0: of this and I've also been on the side of the thing where everyone hates my partner. Oh, really? Girl, multiple times. Wow. First of all, everyone fucking
1: hated
2: him. Oh, yeah.
0: Everyone hated him. And also, nobody liked X from... Oh, really? Nobody. I mean, when we broke up, all of my friends were like, thank fucking god. Like they were thinking about like not including me in things. Like it was that bad. Like to the point where like I hear now that they were doing this, that they were like, we don't want to we love Gabby, but like we cannot be around this person. And I didn't know that people felt that way, but part of me did know. Like mm. part of me like had it in my heart. I think that jess must have some inkling i think there is a a part of her that knows so i have a thing where in college my friends did sit me down and and this is another there's a difference between a boyfriend who sucks and a boyfriend that's like abusive and i also think like hearing like that he puts her down and that he like taught you know if he's just mean to waiters it's like that he sucks whatever but I think you have to be really attuned to the way that this person is treating your friend in public. It's going to be worse in private. And I think that because he's putting her down and, and saying mean things to her and stuff that like affects her, that is when friends of mine sat me down and had an intervention basically be like took me to a bar and we're like, we can't be around this. This person is not nice to you. This person doesn't treat you well. And it worked for a little bit. I mean, obviously, like, Patty and I were back together on and off or whatever. But having them say that did reach me. And again, in that situation, a little part of me knew. I think you, when you're saying that that Jess has no idea or whatever, I I don't think that's true. I think part of her already knows this, is, is my experience. And you talking to her about it, I think, is... Correct. I just worry like that that kind of thing escalates and you don't want to have sat by
2: like you, you can say I don't like how he talks to you, I think. Yeah, this is one of those questions where it was like, I don't know what the actual advice is here. I don't know like what like mental health professionals would say or what the right route is. But like my gut instinct, which again could very well be wrong, is like that I think that it is potentially worth maybe you having a one-on-one discussion with her instead of, like, with the group because that can maybe feel overwhelming and, like, you're ganging up on her. Mm -hmm. But to have that thing of, like, hey, like, I just wanted to sit with you and be, like, I've noticed some stuff about how he talks to you that, like you know, bumps for me and I just wanted you to know that like I'm a safe space for you, that like if you want to talk through things that are going on in your relationship, if you if like this sort of stuff you notice like is escalating, like I just wanted to like let you know that like I've what I've seen and that like it doesn't feel right to me and I'm I'm here for you and that I'm a safe space to kind of talk about this stuff.
0: I love you. I think that you are great. I don't think what he's saying is correct. It's hard if it is a group, then it's less likely that she'll be like, oh, Dina has a problem with Kyle versus like if it's the whole group of you, it was easier for me to think the, uh, think of it as in isolated incidents without everybody. I don't know how It might have been easier for me to hear it from everybody at once. Not like he sucks. You don't have to mention the waiters thing, but I think you should say like, we love you. We think you're great. And we don't like how he talks to you. And we think you deserve someone who thinks you're amazing and who talks to you in a different way, a better way. I think maybe there's something to the group of you talking to her about it, It, unless each of you wants to do it individually, everybody individually. And you've planned like, okay, this one week we're all going to hang out with her individually and everybody's going to say something.
2: It's such a touchy thing. And I mean, the thing is, is like I think you should try talking to her either alone or maybe with one other person. I think like when it gets more than that, it's going to feel like a, A intervention ganging up thing. But let's just say that you say that and the person is like, no, you guys, like, he's just teasing me. It's not a big deal. It doesn't bother me. Like, you're overreacting. It's like, okay, so so you've done your job of saying these things worry me. They've blown it off. Now what? Right? Like, do you Mm -hmm. keep hanging out with this guy? Like, what are your next steps after you've had that conversation?
0: I think you should talk back to him. Not talk back. But like, I think if he's rude to a waiter, you can say that
2: was rude. So that's interesting. just thing of like when he says that shit to her in front of you to like call it out.
0: Yeah. To just be like, if he's like puts her down, be like, that's not true. She's great. Mm-hmm. Or like you're being mean. And this is a thing that I think like people socialize as women are like, you know, not to not to be confrontational, not to do that. Then like he goes home and he's like, your friend Dean is a bitch or whatever. But like, I think like when people were like, that's mean, one friend in particular who I love. A couple friends. I will say two two guys that I was friends with in college were both, like, to my college boyfriend would be like, that's not okay. Would say that to him. That started putting bells in my mind mm-hmm. about it. So I think you can, or, like, if you can be like, I don't think you should talk to waiters like that.
2: And then just see what he says. Yeah, right? So that's interesting. Like, maybe then he'll want to stop hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: I don't know. I mean, I find it okay to be like, direct, like, that, like, that was mean. Even just, like, if he's, like, puts her down or something, like, her job is stupid or whatever, something like that. To be, like, I don't think it's stupid, and I think Jess is
2: great. Yeah, so sort of, like, changing the dynamic of when you are hanging out with him, that Uh you are consistently calling him on his bullshit and see Uh what that, you know, try that, see what happens. Like, does he... Because he might dig his own grave by yeah. by reacting so poorly that maybe she can't ignore how he's reacting. Maybe he'll listen. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe he'll decide, hey, why don't you go hang out with your friends? I don't want to come because they're constantly confronting yeah. me.
0: Or if he's <laughs> like, I mean, I think this is good practice for a lot of people. Like, If he's like, you say he's like mansplaining other people's interests, like it's a good thing to practice saying to to men who do that, I know that already. I don't need you to explain this. Yeah. And then just zip it. If he sucks, like treat him like someone
2: who sucks. Well, does it get much clearer than that? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I do think it's worth a, a conversation with Dina. But then I also think taking this more direct route with him when you are with him could be really interesting and potentially effective. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think also showing her that 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 was not okay to say. I have one friend who's really good at being like, you're great. Like that that person's wrong. Mm -hmm. you're really smart and great. And I think that like allows you to see that's right. Like I am. And that person saying that is wrong because all these other people are saying that I'm great. So I think confronting him on his behavior and then talking to her on like how he treats her are two separate things.
2: Yeah. Both potentially really valuable. I also think he's probably the one who was leaving you the Yelp reviews. (laughs) But that's wild. People who leave angry Yelp reviews are a whole another kind of person. Yeah. Unless it's like bad. Mm-hmm.
0: I leave positive. I Can I just say if somebody is like uh, Julie from Boise who helped me at um, at Alaska Airlines or American Airlines, th- you're a winner, baby. Like <laughs> and I and I wrote a, a review for her and then her supervisor emailed me to be like, we received your review and, and like she has
2: been notified, whatever, like. Be the opposite of Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our motto for today. Be the opposite of <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, send it to just between us, pod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly
0: esteemed guest, Jeff Masters. Stay tuned.
2: Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough
0: questions. Our guest this week is Jeff Masters, who's the host of one of my favorite podcasts. He is a Glad award-winning journalist who's been featured on MSNBC, NPR, and in the New York Times. And his show is called LGBTQ&A. Uh, if you don't know it, you should. Hi.
3: Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, we are so excited to have you because you are a master interviewer. We kind of like wanted to get into what that means. Like you've interviewed such a range of people about such intimate topics. And like, I guess to begin with, like what made interviewing something that you found yourself drawn to?
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you. Uh, Second of (laughs) all, I think in Hollywood when you're starting out as like a young reporter or a host or you do red carpets and you like yell two questions at the back of a celebrity's head and like they walk away and I found that to be not fulfilling by any means and so like the opposite of that is just like this long form interview and I mean like what are like the tricks to it? I think like building rapport beforehand, like walking someone like, hey, did you get here okay? Great, can I get you some water? Amazing. Just make them feel comfortable and then having prepared questions right that's like a sign of hospitality and so as opposed to saying like oh pete but a judge like what are you watching on tv how's your week that's something that anybody can ask so i really push myself to ask questions that maybe only i can ask or maybe after we've built rapport in the interview that i feel comfortable asking and then also to be completely honest I think that like with them in the podcast market, there's like two million shows. You got to stand out, and so I always push myself to ask questions that like make me a little bit uncomfortable to ask. I think those are like often like the most interesting parts of the interview, and I think that we are afraid to be uncomfortable sometimes, you know, to talk about be it like suicide or addiction, and that can really show. And the fact that I I'm I'm not trying to push anybody like to open up and like say things that they like regret, but I think the fact that I can sit with somebody and talk about these uncomfortable topics does make our show stand out
0: how did that work during the pandemic because you're talking about sort of getting intimate with someone in, in like can i get you water can i you know like how did that work over zoom
3: it uh, didn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> also, like sometimes people just like you, they'll give you an hour and they only want to do an hour. So there's not a lot of time for the fluffy stuff, which is OK. I think that the pandemic forced people to like want to open up a bit quicker because maybe I was the only person they were talking to all day. But sometimes, too, there's like a moment like seven minutes into the interview where like finally we click and then it gets really good. And then just in the editing process, I'll make that seven minutes, maybe only like 30 seconds for the listener. <laughs> So we can like cheat it that way.
2: We obviously interview people on this show and sometimes guests join and I'm like, oh, this will be easy. Like I can tell right away they're going to be open and like we'll have rapport. And other times I'll be like, okay, this is going to be a little trickier. (laughs) So what is it like for you if like you have someone that you can tell is more reserved or that you aren't clicking with? Like how do you work through that?
3: So there's different like tricks um, that I can talk about. But I think the other good thing to remember is that this is a two-way thing. And Mm -hmm. so if it's going horribly, I I can do as much work as I can beforehand. But if they just aren't going to open up or tell me anything interesting, that's on them. And there are things I can do to pull that out. But sometimes you just need to say like, okay, this is not my favorite interview and move on to like the next (laughs) one, you know?
0: Oh, really? Just be like, you know what? We'll do, we're getting through this and this will be what it is.
3: You know, I, if you look at my social media, I tweet about my podcast all day, every day trying to get those views. Views, but sometimes it's like, who did he put out an interview this week? He's not talking about <laughs> this one at all. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, also though, like we in the queer community, we have like a bond. And so I think people are more apt to open up to like another queer person being a queer person. You know, like Gabby, being a non-binary person, I think that there's like a, a trust that I you would not be the only non-binary person on my podcast this month or things like right. that. Yeah. So you know, you're to open up a bit more there.
0: Yeah, I think talking to other queer people, like I feel like I say more like I was yeah. on Tuck Woodstock's show gender reveal. I was just like, I'm crying. Why am I crying? Like, what's going on? <laughs> it's just like you have people on you mentioned Buddha like you have people on from like a wide range, let's say, like, do you push back on like if you disagree with someone or like the uncomfortable sort of questions of like, hey, why did you do
3: this? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely push back when need be. That being said, though, if someone may, I'll just give you an example. Actually, how, yes. Yeah. How okay, I interviewed Rufus Wainwright, the singer, who I think has had a fascinating career because he's never been in the closet in his career, which is kind of like right. amazing for his his age. And I interviewed him the week I think that George Floyd was killed, mm-hmm. and so I emailed his publicist and was like, "Hey, are we still going to do this interview?" They're like, "Yeah, absolutely." And I was like, "Okay." Let's do it. And in the interview, he said something about, you know, um, if you are not taking this time in quarantine to, to make art as an artist, you're not a real artist.
0: Ah, that old chestnut
3: yeah and i was like that's interesting um from your mansion and so i pushed back there and was like you know this is a really hard time for people without like the resources or like certain privileges also like the world is burning around us and like there are people in the streets at uh, like a magnitude we have not seen in decades and he was like oh yeah 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 of course that's bad but and like you need to like listen to that but like you need to also be making art And so I didn't know that I needed to call him out and say, like, that's a very privileged stance. But I think that, like, you hear that and it kind of speaks for itself. And then we talk a bit about it and then we move on. Um, I don't know that I'm I'm there to tell somebody when I think they're wrong if it's not hurtful. You know, some makes a comment about, like, being trans and I've pushed back there. But, like, if it's a privileged stance, I think we can just, like, let that sit and the listener can have their own opinion about it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. How much of yourself are you sharing in these interviews? You know, like, like how much do you think self-disclosure like helps interviews become more rich?
3: Ooh, Allison, that's something I think about all the time. And I think it's like the pendulum swing where like sometimes I talk about myself way too much and then I course correct and I talk about myself way too little. <laughs> and I think that like, that's just like kind of like maybe how life is. But sometimes a guest needs me to open up and tell a personal story about like growing up in the South to then open up. And there's that give and take. Other times they don't need it. I think too that it depends on the guest itself, right? So I, I love interviewing older people uh, this week on my podcast we Dr. Charles Silverstein, who made the presentation before the American Psychiatric Association in 73 to <gasps> declassify homosexuality as a mental illness, right? Wow. That is so big. And so I think hearing some comparison between, like, my young gay life of maybe having, like, a casual hookup behind a tree, you know, and then his, like, young gay life where, like, that was not possible because maybe you could, like, literally be killed. I think some of that back and forth is so interesting um, hearing about, like, cruising and like things from his perspective and then i can add my perspective but when it comes to maybe an elected official we're putting on an interview next week with sender tammy baldwin
0: oh hey yeah
3: hello lesbians I don't, i'm not going to tr- bring on like, the only lesbian senator in the history of the United States and talk about my life in front of her. You know, I think there's some (laughs) semblance of, like, this. This such an interesting person. Should I maybe, like, let her talk some? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think it's a give and take, and I think there's not a, like, correct answer, per se.
2: And then sometimes I've had, where I'm interviewing people, where they start asking me questions... yeah yeah <laughs> and it's so disorienting, but I'm like, oh, right, this is what a conversation is
1: like,
3: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, also every podcast is different. every interview is different. People tune into your podcast because they love the chemistry the two of you have, right? They're initially there for you. I don't have that draw myself. like they're there to hear from Laverne Cox to hear from Brandy Carlisle, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you choose your guests?
3: I have a wide range of interests and curiosities. So, you know, like politicians, actors, artists, activists. How do I choose them? It's like, well, I mean, it's also like timeliness. Like who has a movie coming out? Who's promoting this or that? But also, I mean, to the, the inside baseball thing of it too is like I'm always tracking the um, – like the diversity of our guests. Mm -hmm. I don't want to brag about it, but I think that you need to track it and say like, oh, we've not had a person of color on in two weeks and looking at the schedule coming up, we have like four white people booked. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. I, in the very beginning, used to track that. And also, like, it really helps us to see, like, how much the community is changing. I've done this podcast for five years. And I remember it was, like, week, like, let's say, like, the third month of the show, we had a non-binary person. And I could not find somebody to interview who's non-binary for, like, nine more months. And I was so proud also to find this one non-binary person. And now you can't <laughs> throw a rock in Hollywood without hitting someone who's gender non-conforming. I remember, we had one month, and I had three non-binary people in a row by accident. And, like, then one more came out, like, a week before I interviewed them. It's just so trendy but. Anybody agree on this podcast? No kidding. (laughs) But that is like a fascinating change in the community where so many people are feeling comfortable to say, oh yes, like this is also how I identify.
0: Yeah, I think it's seeing other people. I mean, truly like the the pipeline, I don't want to be like whatever, but like the Sam Smith to Demi Lovato to me pipeline is just a straight line. (laughs) Correct. And like, obviously other, that's why visibility is so important. But otherwise, you know, I would say, India Moore made me feel good about like being sort of femme and non-binary. Like I could li- I could show you, you know, different people who are in the public eye, largely in entertainment, I'm realizing, who like made that feel okay.
3: Yeah, because like I mean, I don't wanna correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you grew up and didn't know that this was an option for me. Literally your gender. no idea. No clue. And that's a fascinating, like, change in the historical, whatever, the community, that now kids can grow up and know that there are other options besides, like, the one gender that they were assigned.
0: Oh, my God. My hairdresser yesterday told me that she has seven-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, and they both dressed like Elsa for Halloween last year. And I was like, you both were Elsa? Like, one of you didn't want to be like Anna. And and she was like, no. They were like, we are both Elsa. And I was like, just imagine two seven-year-old Elsas, one in drag coming up to your door.
3: That's amazing. (laughs) I also
0: love the non-compromise of neither one of them backing down about being Elsa.
3: (laughs) I love that their mom let them do that too.
2: Yeah, the mom was like, fine, you're both Elsa. Can we talk a little bit about the mechanics of interviewing? Because I know for me, it's a struggle between listening to what the guest is saying and also like having your next question ready to go.
3: Oh yeah, that's a struggle because it is a struggle, right? It's not like a flaw <laughs> that only Allison has, or maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I describe it as like the split personality in your brain. Like one side of my brain always has like the list of questions and maybe we're bouncing around, but I know like where I want to take the interview if it's not interesting, right? But also I think follow-up questions are like where interviewers shine. And so if you brought up, like, your, like, dead father, I'm not going to say, did you see the new Avengers movie? You know? (laughs) I'm going to say, tell me more about that. And then if we go down a rabbit hole that is maybe not interesting, then you go back to your questions. You know, I I used to do these uh, interviews on camera, and that is so much more challenging, because your face has to look engaged. My resting face sometimes is just bored out of my mind, because, like, you're thinking so hard with both sides of your brain of, like, your list of questions, and you're also being a good listener, and this and that, and that's not an on-camera face really
0: (laughs) I love to say why like just if someone says something I I love to be like why and then it just leads I find it leads to like so much more interesting stuff because I can get the sense sometimes they clearly want to say why but they don't they they need a prompting
3: yeah. Well the trick too I all use which I like learned from my reporting friends that, like who like write articles is like to sit with silence too. So mm-hmm. if you make a statement and I don't I don't maybe like I don't even know my follow up question but if it, I just think there's more there sometimes I'll just like, keep staring at you and you'll feel obligated <laughs> to keep talking and then in the editing process we'll just cut that. Right? <laughs> ah. I will say, too, that one of the secret skills that um, was like a, the biggest surprise to me um, to help me like learn the art of interviewing is that I've been answering phones at the Trevor Project for like seven years. So that's like the suicide hotline for LGBTQ mm-hmm. youth. And in the training process for that, you know, you learn how to seek out information to literally save someone's life and you were learning how to control a conversation without feeling like you're controlling conversation because, it, you know, you can't just like scare a kid. And so that has really been effective and my own interview skills where I'm controlling it, but they don't think that. It just feels so casual because of like, that's like the vibe, let's say. But also if they were to say like about suicidal thoughts, then I'll feel comfortable saying like, oh, like, have you ever, you know, attempt, I mean, I'm not going to ask somebody if they're ever attempted, you know, but right. um, like how often or like this and that or I think it's really important to clarify. If someone says, oh, I was depressed all week. That has become such like a colloquial word that everyone throws around. And it's like, oh, like, are you actually depressed and like on medicine and like that's been diagnosed Mm -hmm. or are you having a bad day? And you just use that because we say that word on Twitter all the time. Mm
2: -hmm. That is probably super helpful, actually. I mean, I literally had a class last night where like the teacher was demonstrating how to do like a a psychosocial interview like intake with a, a patient and there's like obviously you're talking about really vulnerable topics you have to talk about a lot of things people might not want to talk about and he was like explaining that like he's been like hit before <laughs> like
1: oh wow
2: you know like you have to come into it with this like really gentle like welcoming vibe like the vibe to an interview is like obviously in that case it's a clinical interview but Even when you're doing it for news or for entertainment and you're asking somebody to share something incredibly vulnerable, like how do you know when to stop pushing and how do you know when to like move, move on that this isn't a safe thing for them to be talking about?
3: And it's so much easier to judge that when you are in person and sharing like the same oxygen, but through a computer or even just through a phone without a screen, it can be so challenging where you can't see someone's like micro expressions on their face. And Mm -hmm. so I really push as far as I can to where like it's appropriate because at the end of the day, I'm not there to give them a therapy session. Right. I'm there just to interview them about like usually their work or their life. And Mm -hmm. so it's not appropriate to like push to make them cry. Like that's not that's not my intention ever. Mm
0: -hmm. I cry on my own time. I cry on podcasts uh, of my own accord.
3: See, I'm a bad Pisces. I don't.
0: But y'all hold, you hold it. You hold it in. I think
3: that we're really perceptive, right? So I can like gauge emotions and see like how to make someone feel comfortable really well and when to push or not push. But when it comes to my own, that's, you know, a whole longer conversation.
0: Yeah. (laughs) With interviews that I do for Bad with Bunny, I try to do a sandwich where like I'll ask something like sort of nice and like whatever, and then I'll Ask something a little hard or like push. Either you can go the like, what would you say to people who say that? And then it's like a negative thing. Or I'll be like, I try to make it clear that I I've researched them. So I'll be like, you know, with Elizabeth Warren, I was like, I saw a tweet that you put out. And like, I totally love the sentiment. Here's where I think it's wrong.
3: I love citing things that people have said because it shows you've done your work and that they need to work a little bit harder to give you a good answer, right? Yes. Mm. But I also think, too, when it comes to harder topics, I've learned to ask a question that indirectly references something, maybe potential Oh, I'll just use another example. Billie Jean King, right? Mm-hmm. She had an abortion that then it was printed in Ms. Magazine that, and her husband signed off on it. So, like, her abortion was made public against her knowledge, which was a massive deal. And then, again, she was outed. And so I wanted to talk about these traumatic things, but I didn't know, like, I had nothing insightful to ask that I needed her to answer about her abortion. But so what I ended up deciding to ask her was— You know, you had this abortion that was made public without your consent. You know, your sexuality is made public without your consent. Did you kind of feel like everything in your life, every secret would eventually come to light? Mm -hmm. And that kind of opens the door to talking about her abortion and being outed without me asking, like, specifically, like, about the procedure or, like, something like that. Yeah, yeah, And it kind of opens the door to let her take it where we can. So also let me test, too. As she says, I'm not talking about my abortion. It's like, well, I was actually talking about, like, you know, the feelings that came about after and this and that. We can have that. And sometimes we'll explain about that, too. But there's different ways to, like, test the water, I think, too.
2: Mm -hmm. How often will a guest before coming on your show be like, this is what I'm not willing to talk about?
3: So it's not often. I will say that the bigger people know how to handle tricky interviews. And they've Mm -hmm. also talked about so much in the past. I think that to them, like Melissa Etheridge was like, there's probably nothing you can ask me to answered." (laughs) To be honest with you, this is kind of nasty. It tends to be the smaller people, the less experienced people who are not getting that much press, who can be the more challenging, difficult, challenging people to interview because they like, want the questions beforehand. And I say, we don't do that. You don't. No.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. You know what I do? I'm giving my secrets away. If someone says that, I will give them like four or five. I'll be like, "Here's some questions that we're gonna ask, just so you get a general idea," and then I and then I go off script.
3: Yeah, I don't want anybody uncomfortable, right? I'll like maybe give like some like topics. Yeah, like I want to talk about this area, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't give questions.
0: <laughs> when I was doing like journalism, which. My dad would argue Bad With Money is journalism because he wants me to be using my degree. With that, you don't give the questions ahead of time. You are not, that is not a thing that you do in journalism that you cannot do. But I'm sure people do do it in order to interview like bigger people. But with Bad With Money, sometimes I do give the, I, I'm shocked to hear that you don't. I do give the questions ahead of time and then they feel comfortable and they're like, okay, I know a, a kind of the sphere." And then there's certain ones That they don't know that I'm going to push harder on.
3: Yeah. Well, I think bad with money too. You're there to like learn something about a subject per se and not learn something about this person's life. Yeah. To me, that would make sense that you would, that they would want those questions.
0: Well, you know, we have a, a woman from Zillow coming soon and, you know, there's been a lot of shit about Zillow and Airbnb and these kind of big companies taking over the real estate market in a way that makes it unaffordable for people our age. my producer was like, they want the questions ahead of time. And I was like, okay. Uh, She was like, do we want to say that you're going to ask about that? Like, and I was like, yeah, tell them I'm going to ask about that. It's up to them, you know, like, and if they don't want to talk about it, I can say they didn't want to talk about it. And that's shady as fuck. You know what I mean? Like,
3: yeah. Sometimes I think it's really interesting too. If you ask a hard question and the Zillow person says, you know, like, I, I I don't want to talk about that. I think sometimes like, it's so interesting for the listener to hear you then say like, oh, why not? Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's what I, I was like. Give them the questions ahead of time. I got it, no problem because I put it in a sandwich. Right. So here's like six questions. That one's the third one. I'm not going to hide from them that I'm going to ask that, but I am going to hide that I will be pushing on that a lot
3: <laughs> for sure. Yeah, every interview is different. Every POG is different. And it's hard to give like blanket advice, right? Mm-hmm. I think um every young interviewer needs to like learn their chops by like pretending that they're like one of the greats, right? And so like <laughs> some of my earlier interviews, you hear me like faking like Oprah, where I'm like, Allison, how do you define love? <laughs> right? But like now you hear that and you're like, why would he ever say shit like that? And coming out of my mouth, it's just so crazy. But like, I don't know. <laughs>
2: Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy of why you don't share the questions?
3: Well, I like spontaneity. Mm -hmm. And um, I also am interviewing people at a certain level of influence where I don't want them to be too calculated. Um, So if they were less influential, more like people on the street, I would maybe feel comfortable giving them questions because they are like so nervous, actually. right? Like (laughs) like a 15-year-old needs to know like what they're gonna be talking about. But with the politicians, they're so calculated already, and it's so challenging to get like, an interesting answer because you say what was your first day like in the senate and they're like my policies are these people yeah. i fight for mm-hmm. the people of the state and you're like oh god but i think my policy about n- not getting questions is not um it's not like a value system it's more of like i just don't have to <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! And it's just something that i've kind of decided i don't know if that i have a good reason
0: <laughs> but has anyone ever been like okay then i'm not doing the show
3: no, no, because I can I can phrase things very nicely about like not doing that, but like giving topics. But it really doesn't right. come up that much, I think.
2: And you touched on this a little, but how have you grown as an interviewer in these last five years having your podcast?
3: Oh, man, I have to tell you, I'm so like insecure about the first like two years of shows that are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as We call it now. And I think that that's OK. I'm not going to take them down, but I just know how to make any, somebody feel comfortable now. Right in a great way I know like what my style is more so I'm not like again like trying to fake like I'm Larry King or Terry Gross or things like that
0: so how did you come into your style like what's your style now
3: so I think that my interviews shine when they're, like, rooted in history. Mm. I think, like, contextualizing people as, like, the first acts and, like, how sad that is, right? Like, Sharice David's the first, like, Native American, I think, woman in Congress, maybe the first Native person ever to, um, in the House of Representatives. Uh, she was elected with, uh, now, Secretary Deb Holland. I think it's, you got to look at both sides of that. It's a celebration. You know, we have a Native person in the House of Representatives and, like, holy crap, it only happened in our lifetime now? Mm. Like, I think both sides of the Coins showing things like that. I feel more comfortable now cutting people off. I'll give like a non-verbal like "uh, uh." I'm making verbal just now for your listeners, but <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. You know,
3: but I'll like act like I'm trying to uh, give a face, and if they won't, it's like okay, wait, wait a second, hold on. Things like that. Yeah. If I do have a really uncomfortable question that I need to ask, I always know where to take the interview after that. If I need to get out of this section really quickly, I think it's just becoming a lot more comfortable, like just sitting with being uncomfortable. I think, like, we're afraid, like, you know, with our silos now, like modern culture, tell me this gets too meta. For our silos, like, we are afraid of having comfortable conversations. And that's not what makes an interesting podcast.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think my greatest struggle on this show is that there's two of us. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, when I interview people for my Patreon, or when I've just interviewed people for my book, and, like, it's a very different dynamic. But, like, having two interviewers where it's, like, who's going to talk? sometimes feeling like I, I can't get worded or like, I'm sure if I so or whatever, like it's a difficult dynamic.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think too, the biggest thing I learned is that I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to be the bachelor. I'm not here to make friends. But an interview... <laughs> is not there to make a friend, right? And that's okay. They can still have a lovely time, but that means you can push back on somebody. Uh, It means that if they say, that's Alaska, the drag queen, I think has told me like in an interview a couple of times, like that's a really weird question. And instead of me, you know, Alaska would say that. Instead of me like saying like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Alaska thinks I'm dumb. I say, well, here's why I'm asking this question. And pushing back in that sense. And I will say that when I did push back for Alaska, they were like, okay, great question. (laughs) You almost almost made me cry. I don't cry. We've established I don't cry.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a person who I'm like, that's a weird question for you. At what what level is weird for
2: you?
3: I know. Well, I think that people are really uncomfortable with, like, talking about, like, race, right? Because I think I asked Alas something about, like, the racism in the drag race fandom is such a hot topic right now. And is it also being talked about behind the scenes amongst drag queens? Yeah. Which I would, I'm, I think it's a good question. That's not that
1: weird. Yeah. <laughs> if I can toot
3: my own back, whatever, toot my own back, pat my own toot, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she says, well, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't want to talk about racism. I don't think that I, like, I'm white. And I'm like if white people don't talk up racism, yeah. like we're never going to solve anything. And she was yeah. like, oh, "Okay, yeah, you're right." <laughs> I was like, "Okay."
0: Ah, ah, Great. Ah. That was easy. <laughs> I love people that will just do that.
2: That will just be like, "You know what? I heard you and in... yeah, you're right." <laughs> yeah, right. What do you think about the difference between live interviews and edited interviews?
3: Oh man, I think live interviews you got to have the right guest, right? Mm. Who knows how to work with a crowd. Shakina Nafak uh, was one of my favorite live interviews because she just has this performance background. She knows how to hit a punchline and like look at the audience. I really love like a slower interview from a historical person, right? Ivy Bottini was 94 years old, worked with Gloria Steinem in the 50s and the women's movement and Betty Friedan. That's not an interview that would ever work live because old people like to drone on and that's fine. But that's why we edit podcasts. But... You also just need to have like momentum. You got to have your ear on the audience. I think I have like that ear for the audience when we're editing the podcast, but it's got to be even more tuned to like the live audience of like, oh, I'm losing them. I'm losing them. Mm-hmm. I need to make a joke now. You know, I got to mm-hmm. have a punchline. I don't really <laughs> worry about punchlines from recording podcasts, but live. Oh, baby, live.
2: <laughs> also, I feel like as, you know, an interviewee, I can feel more comfortable knowing something's going to be edited, right? Because then you can like, take that time to like allow there to be silence while you like figure out exactly what you say or like being able like, actually, let me say that again this way or, you know, but I think when it's live, there is this pressure to be perfect. And so you might not get as good stuff, if that makes sense.
3: For sure. I mean, I, I've i not put out a lot of my live shows on the podcast because you know, it just sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes I think like if I tell like a racier story, you know, live, like that's so fun. I don't know if I need that recorded like on my show for people mm-hmm. to hear. So like we can just like let these things be like uh one off nights too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you came to see me live and you got some tea. And uh, <laughs> yeah, right yeah, now you don't. <laughs> it's interesting doing the Bad With Money show because it isn't. I think sometimes it's like we forget how much they want to hear us, which is sort I don't know if you get that, too. But like episodes where I think the guest is amazing, but I don't talk as much. People don't like it. Yeah. I was like, no one in the history of time and space has ever told me to talk more. So this is wild.
3: But I think that that show works talking about like money and finances because the host is so interesting, right? Yeah. The host is you.
0: (laughs) Thanks. But you, I mean, do you feel like people are like, oh, that was great. But like, we want, we want to hear more from Jeff.
3: No, I don't think that I unfortunately, right? I think I'm interesting, but I think that I don't command as much of like a fervor, even though I think people should be devoted to me. No, I think that one of the most like offensive comments I hear is when I meet people out in the world and they love the podcast and they're like, I cannot believe how funny you are in real life. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Am I not funny on the podcast? And it's like actually no, because I'm letting like a Laverne Cox talk.
1: So yeah. that's why I try
3: to be like a little bit more fun in my introductions to and recording. I'll like give a joke here and there. But I don't know that my podcast is like meant for like me, Jeffrey Masters, to shine, to like show you all aspects of my personality. It's really there to like get to know just like a terribly interesting person for the community. Maybe someone you've been following for years, or maybe someone you've never heard from. And so I'm kind of okay with that actually.
2: That's why you have to come guest on podcasts like this. So we get to really know you. Oh, yeah.
3: About time, Allison. Oh, my God. How many years has this been?
2: (laughs) I
0: know. I know. We have, like, uh, I mean, I want to have the host of, like, every queer show that I love, obviously, on. And, I, yeah, I just think you're right. Like, your show does such a great job of, like, getting in deep with these people and um, giving them the space to, like, talk for a long time where, like, You know, I again, like Buttigieg, that was such an interesting one for me, because like he's someone that you hear so much about, but you never have like a long form interview with him. And he's so polarizing in the queer community. And and so, yeah, people like that, I feel like it's like they must feel like, okay, I'm being given space here.
3: Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate that, too. Sometimes I feel like we talk about just being gay too much on the show. But then you hear other, and I generally mean that, but then you hear other shows and you like, his sexuality is not brought up once. I'm like, right. oh, that's why like we need this counterbalance. But, like no one else was going to like bring up like grinder and Hinge in the interview, right? <laughs>
0: I love when he's like, we met on an app. And I'm like, what app? <laughs> what app? Say it. Say what app.
3: <laughs> right. Well, and that's when like, I like the, a lot of like the prep work, comes into play beforehand I'm not going to ask him like are you sure it wasn't Grinder?" but I can't make a joke about it I think I asked him like if it was Grinder, would you tell me and he laughed and said <laughs> no <laughs> right and I'm like I, that was like me beforehand being like how do I bring up Grindr without being offensive
2: yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I would like this opportunity to get to know you even more by playing a game show called Hypotheticals.
3: Oh my God, I'm ready.
2: <laughs> okay, great. So you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have and then um, tell me what you would do in that situation. Sound good? Awesome. Are you ready to, to win? It's, it's kind of impossible to win, but you should at least try. I'm still ready. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, great. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 10 years recently went back to get their college degree. In their attempt to fit in with their classmates, they go to a dorm party and end up playing spin the bottle. This results in them making out with five different 20 year olds. Would you stay with this cheater?
3: Oh my God. Am I starting first?
2: Yeah, Yeah,
1: go for it. (laughs)
3: So, you know, I love an uncomfortable conversation. I would just have to talk to this person and see, like, why they did that. Like, did they want to do more? Like, were they wasted? Has this happened before? And, like, are they unhappy with our relationship? Do they want to stay in it? I don't know that that's a definite deal breaker, but it would initiate a very long conversation for sure.
2: How did I find out about this? They came home and you were like, how was the party? And they were like, it was wild. And then they told you.
3: <laughs> oh, I actually respect that more. They were like, hey, listen, I just made it with five people. I have to tell you.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I respect that. But they, but here's the, the clue, Sherlock Holmes, is that they're 20 and it was a drinking party. Uh-oh. Yeah. Illegal. Illegal activity. <laughs> That's what's upsetting to you? Yeah, because then they're like supplying alcohol to minors and kissing them. And and that's risky. I can't be tied to someone like that. I can't be tied to that risky behavior. Well, Mm. I'm
3: only twenty two, so it's a bit different for me.
0: Whatever, (laughs) dude. Ish. Uh huh. So Gabby's leaving. You're a liability. You're a liability, and I gotta go. Of
2: course, you only ever leave when it
0: affects your career. I leave when it affects my career, and I stay when they're rich.
3: (laughs) I want that on a t shirt.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's not a bad philosophy. (laughs) Thank you.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, I guess that was a good call because they end up leaving you to be in a quadruple with those 20 year olds. Wow. My nightmare. I was going to say, is this is this like what happened to you with that person who left you for a high schooler? No, they just left me for one high schooler, not multiple. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate that. (laughs) It was wild. Anyway, our second game. Is this a date? You have a job interview, but during the interview, it becomes clear that you are overqualified and it's not the right fit. The person interviewing you acknowledges this, but says that they have really enjoyed getting to know you and would love to talk more about your work experience and point of view over lunch. Is this a date?
3: Ugh. Do I like them?
2: (laughs) That's not the rules of the game. Do they think it's a date?
3: Ugh. I'm just scarred because I've had like men like DM me and like we're flirting and I'm thinking like, oh my God, I found the one. And then they're like, how do I get in the advocate? And I'm like, wait, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, Jeff, put me on the Out 100.
3: Fully, yes, that's happened. I'll send you screenshots. Not to keep bringing up Pete Buttigieg, but like after I interviewed him, like men came out of the woodwork and they're like, hey, we went out two years ago. Can I do your podcast? I saw Pete was on it and I'm like. You think you're at Pete's level? Are you running for president of the United States?
0: Wow. That's really wild. Well, I think that they think it's a date. And I think that that's highly inappropriate because it's a work situation. I'm like, I came here to get a job. Like, I want money. If this is a date, then I want to be paid for this date. Mm. I want you to buy the food. And I also would like you to hand me $50 at the end of the date. Just 50? Yeah. depends. What is it? An hour? 50 bucks an hour isn't bad. I'll take it.
3: I think I'm doing (laughs) dating wrong. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's definitely not a date. If if the person wants it to be a date, they need to specify and say, hey, I know we met through a business thing. I think you're amazing. Do you want to get a drink?
2: Okay, our last game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 12, really wants to take an Uber home after seeing a movie with her friends, but you aren't comfortable with the idea. You tell her to pretend she is calling an Uber, but really, her uncle will come pick her and her friends up and pretend to be an Uber driver so she can seem cool but not be in danger. Are you a terrible parent?
3: Wait, I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> cut, cut the print. Allison, did you write these? Oh yeah. <laughs> these are amazing.
2: Allison writes
0: them every week. They're <laughs> incredible, and that might be in my like top five. <laughs> Thank you so much.
3: So, first of all, not letting a sixth grader or whatever 12 year old not take an Uber is the correct parenting move, right? (laughs) Yeah. This person should not be an Uber alone. They will get killed. And also, like, but secretly, like, having this, like, lie about the uncle picking up and, like, faking (laughs) it is kind of genius. I just don't like lying. And I would say, no, I'll pick you up. And, like, if you want to do it around the block, sure. But, like, I I think I have no notes, sure. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs) Wow. Well, speaking of someone who used to have their mom drop them off at the movie theater and then get picked up by older boys and go somewhere completely different and then get dropped back at the movie theater and then (sighs) have the mom. Oh, yeah. Sorry, mom. Sorry. Uh, And then have the mom be like, how was the movie? Which I don't advocate children listening. Don't do that to your parents.
3: I played it way too safe in high school. Wow.
0: Yeah. No, it was not good. I think I think you're a good parent. I think this is the right move. (laughs) But I think you should also
2: check if your kid is actually going to the movie because I wasn't. But you like this elaborate scheme with the uncle and the fake Uber and all that. The friends are getting in the Uber, too, and their uncle's going to drive them and like have to pretend to be the Uber driver. Oh, but here's the thing. I think you should go a
0: step further and the uncle should be in the theater in the back making sure they're seeing the movie. I think this is a whole private eye situation for the uncle where he should be in a hat. Sitting in the back, making sure they're seeing the movie and then coming out and being the Uber driver. And that's the safest way.
3: This writing is amazing. Gabby's fully putting this on a movie that they're going (laughs) to (laughs) write.
2: Well, I think when I write my parenting book, this will definitely go in it.
0: Yeah. Ask me for advice. I'll be like, here's all the things that I did. And here's
2: all the ways you should absolutely catch your children. Your advice won't go in my parenting book. This hypothetical.
0: (laughs) No, I'm like the catch me if you can of your parenting book. Like I'll like I'm giving advice to the FBI about like how to catch other criminals.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you so much for joining us, Jeffrey. This was amazing. Where can people find out more about what you're up to and follow you and listen to your pod?
3: Yeah, so the podcast is called LGBTQ&A. That's Q&A with an ampersand, I like to say. Which
2: is so clever, just so clever.
3: Thank you. When I thought of it and like, let's say created it, I was like, how did no one think of this before? That's so dumb. It's very good. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I'm on social media. They can just Google me, I guess, whatever. I don't need to like go through every handle. But this was so, so fun. So thank you for having
2: me. Oh, thank you for being on. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about our comedic voice. (laughs) That's mine. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics! X, 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 baby! Baby! Why did you want to talk about this? Because, <laughs> so we picked talking about our comedic voices. And it's because, as you know, I have an all-time favorite movie, which is called Get Over It. And uh-huh. I recently made my boyfriend watch it for the first time. And I realized that this movie... Just shaped what I think is funny so much. (laughs) If you, like, think about, like, what my comedy taste is, now as a 32-year-old, it is just this movie. (laughs) Wow and like so much of me has changed and so much of like my content has changed and another thing to talk about is like how I really made a move away from like self deprecating jokes like as a a conscious effort but like this film is still so funny to me it's like Martin Short plays this like really dramatic theater teacher it's like a high school rom-com with like Midsummer Night's Dream the musical that's like the performance they're putting on and like just Martin Short is just such a funny character to me mm-hmm. where he's just like he puts on this like very positive in your face attitude. Yeah. But then it's clearly just his life is clearly so sad. <laughs> and like it just has all these asides. And like I just find that film to be so funny to me always. And it's interesting, like the little things that like completely shape us yeah. like long term.
0: Have you ever seen Summer Heights High High? Oh, yeah. So I feel like Mr. G would be right up your alley. Oh, yeah. It was very reminiscent. Yeah. I was thinking about the it was so funny because uh, there was a clue on Jeopardy that was um, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. And I was thinking about how that show as like a four year old like shaped like they mm. would do jokes on that show. And I that's my like earliest memory of like jokes like that is a joke and that is funny. Where like lamb chop would tell jokes and I would be like, yeah, jokes. Yes, this is good. And so like and that was just like at four, like realizing what I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. And then I think like I have gotten more used to now the fact that my humor is black. It's just dark and I have to rein it in publicly. <laughs> but a lot of the ways that I crack myself up are just by being like so inappropriate Shock humor. Mal was like, you're a shock jock. Like, <laughs> I do it a little on this show, a very little. But yeah, I have to like, then I have to figure out what the appropriate place for that is, which is like in certain scripts and stuff like that. It's weird because as culture has gotten more like, you have to be a cert- like certain way and kind and like, you know, like you have to be like gentle humor or whatever. Like I've become more of an asshole. Like <laughs> I've become like
2: more of like a dick I don't know I feel like I rely a lot on voices and some like physicalities and like I think a lot for me is like my delivery of stuff yeah but it's it's interesting like one of the things I I've really been enjoying about my relationship with John is like I feel like I'm my funniest when I'm with him you banter yeah like I'm just like I, for whatever reason, feel comfortable, like, making any kind of joke that I want to make. And, like, he gets it. So, I'm just, mm-hmm. like, making more than I used to. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys do bits? Oh, my God. So many. Just, like, we're just doing, like, improv scenes all the time. Yes! Yes! And I think that's like a fun part of the relationship. Mal and I were
0: driving from uh, here to Palm Springs last summer. And the I'm talking about the entire two-hour drive we did like a fake thing where Mal was Southern and I was from France and we were calling, I was kept calling into a restaurant that they were working at. And like, we did it for two hours where it was just (laughs) me calling into this restaurant with like more absurd requests. And then like, it it had a storyline. It ended up that like, it was actually not a restaurant. It was an aquarium. Like we, like it went through a full storyline and neither of us were breaking. We were like, we're not going to break.
2: We're not going to stop this. Uh, And I was like, that, That's true love. (laughs) I think so. True love is having the best two-man improv team you've ever been a part of. For no reason. For (laughs) no reason.
0: And then they just kept it going and I just kept it going. And like, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of accents, a lot of French accents for no reason on my end. And like, I think if you can make each other laugh, that's like... I, I, Ma- Mal makes me laugh so hard. And then, like, I'll, you know, I make them laugh. Like, I'll, like, be, like, in the middle of joking with them and I'll be, like, in my mind being like, we're having such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, but I do, my humor is, is slightly sometimes, sometimes my whole joke is just how far can I push it with Mal? Like, how dark it can get before they're, like, stop it. <laughs> uh, and, like I do a lot of jokes with the dog, like mm. like I was doing one where like Mal was going to run an errand and I was holding beans and I was going they're never coming back, and Mal was like stop oh my it. God. I was like say goodbye to your dad because they're they're leaving forever. They're leaving for <laughs> like and then Mal was like you stop and I was like it's it's so you see how they're yelling at us
2: it's because they're leaving for good. And I'm just like what the fuck. I've been heavily influenced by I Think You Should Leave. Ah! I'm doing a lot of joke deliveries as if I was Tim Robinson.
0: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> just a lot of, like, what? <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> just, like, talking as though, like, what I'm saying is, like, so accurate and true, but it's so not true. Yeah, I
0: think like, well, it's funny because I'm not writing as much comedy right now. Yeah, me neither. Like I'm writing a lot of drama, but to me with writing drama, like people are still funny. Mm -hmm. Like even in like a drama show or, you know, dramatic stuff, the people in it are still, you still make jokes at dark times. You still like, you know, make like, you can still add comedy. It's
2: just not comedy with, like, beat by beat by beat comedy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not writing anything to be like... I mean, I guess, like, I don't know. Like, I think that some of my nonfiction writing, like, I think that my book is... Even though it's nonfiction, I think there's a lot of humor in it. Of course. But it, it is different. And, like, you know, sometimes I'm like, am, are my comedy chops, like, not as, like, sharp as they used to be because I'm not using them in my professional writing as much but then I realized that I'm like joking around more in real life than I yeah. have been so I think that like it, it's still there but like I I don't I wouldn't know how to like describe my own type of comedy like John just consistently refers to me as a cartoon character yeah 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 <laughs> and I guess that's the closest way to yeah. describe it I get edgelord a lot. Shock jock, edgelord. You get shock jock and I get cartoon character. And I think that that's about right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so I just had to realize like
0: where to put that. A lot of the stuff that I put on TikTok is like my,
2: Mm. it's Mm -hmm.
0: everyday stuff like that I post on there. It's not, it's like me and Mal, like everyday stuff. And I think that. It's funny, too, because I it's you don't often see like whenever I see like queer comedies, I'm like this. There's so many more specific things that are so funny. Like Mal bought a hat with a rainbow on it in order to like show the guys at the garbage dump that they were also gay because one of the men at the garbage dump is gay and Mal's trying to impress him. And I was like, where is that in my fucking sitcom world? Where is that? And I w- they were like, it's a subtle hat. And I was like, Oh, subtle. It's a subtle hat. <laughs> and They were like, Yeah, because it's, you know, it's like a subtle rainbow. And I was like,
2: Uh huh. Yeah, it's really super subtle. You looked so straight without that hat. Well, I mean, I've been teaching these classes at USC film school, like about internet comedy and stuff. And like a big thing I talk about is like the specifics. I'm like, What are the specifics of your life? What are the details? That's what's like going to make it rich and funny and relatable. Like the more specific you are, the more relatable you are. Yeah. And what is like authentic? If I post something that's
0: more off the cuff, people seem to enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. So that's like an interesting wrinkle. It's definitely changed. And I've definitely moved away from trying to please other people Mm -hmm. and gone
2: towards just like what I think is funny. Yeah, that's honestly been my advice is I'm always like make something that will make you laugh. <laughs> like, what kind yeah. of content do you want to watch do you think is funny? And for me that is exclusively the early two thousands rom com get over it. <laughs> Melissa, want to come on in and share your share your comedic voice with us?
1: I'm hilarious.
2: (laughs) You kind of really are, though. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I find very funny? What do you find very funny? Hubris. Just like unbridled confidence and arrogance in a character. I find
2: so funny. Do you find that you uh, gravitate towards humor that's like your humor?
1: Or do you like like a broader range? I like a lot of different Humor and comedy. I don't like silly stuff. I like stuff that's a little bit smarter. But, you know, I can sit and watch Modern Family all day and laugh my ass off. (laughs) Wow.
2: That's so interesting. I've been watching The Mindy Project and I find
1: Morgan's character on that show to be so fucking funny. And I find him to be the most obnoxious character that ever existed on television. (laughs) I cannot stand him. Is
2: that Ike Barinholtz? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Me and my friend Catherine regularly talk about how much we dislike that character. It's
2: so funny. He's grown on me. But because he has that kind of thing that's like, you'll say something terrible to him and he'll be like, it would be an honor. Like, it's something about that. It's like very funny.
0: I love Cousin Greg on Succession. Perfect. Mm. Jonah from Veep. Perfect. Eddie's kind of like... The sort of odd man humorous like ed helms on the office
2: oh see he was like my least favorite character on the office
0: hubris hubris thinking you're the best is so funny to me <laughs> it's
2: all so subjective that's the mm-hmm. whole thing is like yeah. some stuff doesn't make sense mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then you can be like this just doesn't i don't even understand the joke but like other than that it's just like subjective and people are going to disagree and like even between the three of us we have like my favorite person is your least favorite person. Vice versa. It's- mm-hmm. You know who shaped a
0: lot of my... This is like a more recent show. Kether Donahue on You're the Worst play uh, playing Lindsay. Oh, I love, love... I love everyone on that show.
1: Everyone on that show is Her
0: perfect. playing Lindsay on that show was one of the funniest fucking things. Like I was yes. like, this is a perfect character.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Oh,
0: my God. Urkel, I think, shaped a lot of my...
1: I'm no longer agreeing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, the, like, unearned confidence. Like, Urkel was, like, so funny to me because it's just, like, this sort of, like, I'm here and I'm going to hit on you and I'm definitely, like, it's just... I think unearned confidence is very funny.
1: Got it. I see Urkel and Jonah from Veep, like two sides of the same coin but one's like disgusting one's wholesome Mm -hmm. yeah roger from sister sister i think that's different that's someone who is like just unearned confidence yeah but he does not put a distasteful feeling in my heart like the other two yeah (laughs) what do we rate this episode
0: i rate it um nine out of ten that's mean oh okay
1: okay so 90 percent. wow okay oh I'll give it uh, (laughs) Well here's the thing Because it's mean I stand by it Got it Sounds good I'll give it uh, 20 out of 10 Positive Yelp reviews Oh yes And
2: I will give it 32 out of 27 Melissa Etheridge Has already answered This question Uh (laughs) I was Took everything
0: in me Not to be like Was the question Would you come to my window (laughs) (laughs)
2: well thank you jeffrey masters for being our guest just between us is a forever dog production hosted by me allison raskin and me gabby dunn produced by melissa d monts executive produced by brett boehm joe
0: cilio and alex ramsey Brandon Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast
2: ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam team or on our channel, youtube.com slash just between us show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook
0: at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at Gabby Road, at She Is Not Melissa, all on Instagram. Also Patreon.com slash emotional support lady and Patreon.com slash Gabby Okay, bye! Bye!
1: Forever!
0: Dog!